0: If you're watching online this morning, thank you. We're so blessed. It's, I forget that, that, that uh, there's other people out there. So uh, if, you're, if you are with us through live stream today, thanks so much. We are grateful for the technology to be able to do that. I did want to mention this though. So if you are watching on live stream, all you see is what's up here. Uh, and so the worship team is obviously not wearing masks. Um and I, you, I I take mine off when I come up but they wear them when they're not up here and everybody else is. So we are we are doing everything we can to uh make our service as safe as possible for everyone that's here. So we set our chairs up they're not in the typical rows we used to use. It's kind of a weird arrangement but they're just in little groups of twos and threes and fours for family members around the ha- uh around the room. Again, we're leaving the doors open for air circulation. Everybody's wearing a mask. I just wanted to let you know that that we're doing everything we can um, to to keep things as as safe as we possibly can while we still gather. And I know that there's a lot of different opinions all over the map on what's right, what's wrong. We did not meet for five and a half months, and and it's it's the longest. uh, I've never been out of church more than a week in a row. I think in my entire life, it was very very difficult and. We are really grateful to be able to be back together in any capacity. Uh, we also deeply respect uh, the, the feelings of anybody who might feel still uncomfortable. So we wanted you. Just, I just want to say those things to you today. Just to let you know that, and, uh, and and just you know, beware that we are here. We'd love you to join us. We're also so thankful that you're joining us online. So with that, a couple of announcements. Am I on now? Is this working? Oh, look at me! I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Let me move this down. First of all, well, let's just start start at the top. Uh, In terms of our uh, financial uh, support and where we're at today, uh, we would love for you to be able to give and contribute to Cascade Vineyard. There's a few different ways you can do that. Um, There's a box in the back. There's also online, and and, uh, you can pay through Stripe on your phone and and different capacities. I want to just pray for our offering really quickly um, you know, it's hard. Money's money and it is what it is, but we're just blessed. It costs money to be able to exist as a church. And we're blessed that we are able to not only continue to provide the services we pri- provide to our church family, but to our community at large. So Jesus, just thank you for your, uh, the, the graciousness and the generosity of your people as they give and contribute to the work of your kingdom uh, in and around our community. In your name we pray. Amen. Along with that, I wanted to mention that uh, during our hiatus when we were not meeting, we had schedules of teams of people that kind of did all the uh, duties around here during the day, and we, that, that all kind of fell apart. So we need help with chair set up on Sunday morning, uh, greeting at the door when people come in, and then also announcements, what I'm doing right now. If you were on any of those lists previously, or if you were not but would like to be, would you please reach out to Tucker? Uh, You can text him, email him, uh, go to his house at night, knock on the door. (laughs) Just get a hold of Tuck and let him know you want to sign up. And we would love to have your help. There's no prerequisite. There's no, no experience needed. Anybody can be a greeter. Anybody can set up chairs. It's serious. Hey, uh, thanksgiving is rapidly approaching and this is one of the biggest uh times of the year for us not only just in celebration of thanksgiving but it's it's the, it's the, probably the single most uh impactful outreach we do in our community we will be supp- su- supplying uh complete thanksgiving dinners to 35 families in our community that are in need uh, that includes a certificate for either a turkey or a ham from any local grocery store as well as fresh produce potatoes, the whole pie, everything. Uh, So that's in two weeks from today on a Sunday. Two things you can do. One, if you would still like to support that, we would love to have your support. Uh, $16 buys a turkey certificate. Some of that money will go not just for turkeys, but also for some of the other things. We were not not able to get uh, everything we need through Oregon Food Bank and through our connections with local farmers. Uh, So we will have to purchase some food. But we would love you to participate in that. The other thing is that on the 22nd, we actually put those boxes together. The folks will come and pick them up, and we'll, we'll pass them out. We would love to have you help us on that day. The way it works is this. Right after church, we go up to the office building, which is behind us. Uh, we'll have lunch together, and then we'll pack boxes, and, and people will show up. It takes a couple hours before it's all done. Love to have you join us that day. Okay, last thing before we get in the message. I have got some explaining to do. Um. Every November is a, uh, a uh, an awareness campaign for men's health called Movember, and uh, Movember was originally, I think, focused on prostate cancer specifically, but has grown to be just awareness of men's health. And part of the awareness campaign itself is the growing of a mustache. And so uh, I was approached. I was not approached. I I, I was finagled. Manipulated, uh, intimidated. I, I know Kevin McFugger's not here today, but he, he really twisted my arm. I, I believe there are several other guys in the congregation that are growing mustaches for the month of November. Uh, let me just say, it is what it is. It's awareness for men's health. That's a good cause. December 1st, this baby will be gone. Um, so, so with that, just, uh, just an explanation of what's happening here. Uh, don't, don't be afraid. Okay. Uh, let me grab my nose. Uh, so, Hey, uh, again, if you're new with this, we're doing a little mini series right now. We finished the book of Ruth a couple weeks ago. Um, I, you know, I thought it was appropriate right now just to kind of speak into the cultural climate a little bit. It was a big week this week. A lot happened. Um, so, so in the course of the series, the title of our series is How Should We Then Live? It's a, a, a phrase that I swiped from Francis Schaefer, but really talking about in light of what's happening in the world, how, how do we as Christians respond to all that? And I think it's an important question. Um, we talked last week about being ambassadors for Christ that we represent Jesus in the world. I think that, that is so important. We we talked about it this morning a little bit. We prayed about it in the back before service. Just the reality that there's a there's a lot of turmoil happening right now and uh, it's 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 on us really as as believers and followers of Jesus to really be ambassadors to represent Jesus to to bring healing, bring bring some sense of Unity and connection back together uh, with others. I want to begin just in, by way of introduction with a, a verse from Hebrews. Hebrews says, um, and this is a Passion translation, by the way. Uh, we have no city here on earth to be our permanent home, but we seek the city that is destined to come. So again, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, that's our home. We're here right now. We're occupying this space for a time. But our home ultimately isn't here; it's there. Um, and when we talk about heaven, I, I am using heaven as being synonymous with the kingdom of God, which is not up but out. It's anywhere that the rule and reign of God is evident, where where God is in control and God is ruling. Uh, and, and as ambassadors, that's our job. Our job is to represent that to people around us, to to bring the love, the compassion, the grace of God to people who might be living in fear, doubt, anxiety, or whatever else is happening. I shared with you last week a couple of ways that that can be done. One is holding on to hope. Uh, And again, our our hope isn't in uh, an election. Our hope isn't in uh, legislation. Our hope isn't in uh, this or that or anything else. Our hope is in Jesus and His ability to transform uh, the world around us. And and not only that, that we resist the powers. And that comes from Ephesians and the idea that um, there's more than meets the eye. That, that really um, there are principalities and powers. There are spiritual forces at work behind much of what's happening in the world. And we need to keep that in mind. Um, Paul tells us uh, in, in Timothy to be pleasing to our commanding officer. We need to remember who we serve. Um, we, we serve Him, we represent Him. And we also said last week that, you know, what, what is, there's what's seen. and We see a lot happening right now uh, in, in, our, in our culture, and, and not only just here. I'll talk a little bit later about other cultures outside of the United States as well. But uh, what, what we see is uh, violence, discrimination, racism. Um, and uh, what we don't see is what's behind those things and the principalities and powers that press uh, those dynamics into culture. And again, uh, the, the kind of conclusion last week, and I want to mention it once again today because I think it's a very, very important thing for us to keep in mind is that our, our, our brother is never our enemy, okay? Our enemy is never flesh and blood. And, and we need to be mindful of that as we approach other people who may think differently than we do, believe differently than we do, respond differently than we do, that our brother is never our enemy. Um, So this morning we're going to continue in this series. Um, Again, the series title is House We Then Live, and then the uh, subtitle for today is A Tale of Two Kingdoms. I'm going to warn you uh, up front, a little theological today, a lot of scripture, uh, hang with me, it'll be okay. If you're one of those folks who's so inclined, you might want to take notes uh, and write down some of the, just the, you don't have to write down anything I say, just write down the, the different texts we use, and uh, you might want to look those up again later, but let's pray and then we'll dive in. Uh, Jesus, we're so grateful for your word and grateful for the opportunity to really be light and life uh, today. So would you just uh, uh, just cause your spirit to rest upon us and enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might really see and understand uh, what you have for us as as your people uh, in, in the world today. In your name we pray. Amen. Tale of Two Kingdoms, I stole that as well. I'm really good at pilfering from other people. That's obviously um, from Charles Dickens in, in his classic uh, Tale of Two Cities, the very famous opening line. I, this is one of those things. <clears throat> I think everybody knows the opening line of Tale of Two Cities, but nobody's ever read it. Um, I ordered it this week. I'm going to read it. I've never read it. What? I did. I will. I'm going to read it. The opening line, no heckling from the, from the cheap seats. The opening line is, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Great line. Uh, in a very real way, I think we could s- apply that today. It was the best of times and the worst of times. You might say, well, I get how it's the worst of times, okay? Uh, you, you know, obviously, life is challenging right now. How, though, might it be the best of times? And I would say this, again, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as ambassadors of Christ, to me, it's the best of times. What a greater time, what greater opportunity than to be able to share our faith with people around us. People are afraid. People are are, are concerned, they're anxious, they're doubtful, they don't know what to do. Uh, what a great opportunity to be able to speak into that. And I think we have, as, as followers of Jesus, the spiritual context to speak into what's happening in our world right now. So what I want to do, take a step back, uh, and I want to I, I look at, the, at that context, What is the context? How did we get to where we are? So a little bit of a history lesson today. We're going to start at the beginning, uh, but we won't go all the way through the Bible. So again, I'll try to make this as quick and painless as possible, but I do want to start uh, in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we're created in the image of God, and given dominion over the rest of creation. And we are to, to live and to love and to rule uh, like Him. We're to be like Him. He, he is our model. Uh, we are, we're, we're to care for and really to shepherd the rest of creation. Uh, we are created as a family equally in Him. Uh, we're all created in, in His image. Um, Listen, no, never mind. I'll hold that thought. Um. What he says here, when the the writer of Genesis says, in the image of God, uh, that was a term that was applied to the king. The king was said to be in the image of God. So what he's saying is, in effect, we're all royalty. This is what we talked about a little bit earlier today already, that we we are all royalty. We're we're all created as kings and queens, sons and daughters of the Most High. There there is no uh, power structure from God, in which any one person has power over another person. Uh, the, 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 the original created order was based on the idea that we see really illustrated most clearly in the life of Jesus, which is servant leadership. You're not over somebody, you come under them, and you you, you exercise the power you have by actually serving them. Of course, we all know that it didn't take very long. Uh, for that to be distorted. That's the way God created it originally to be. But the very next chapter says the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, uh, the tree of life was a tree of provision, uh, a tree of uh, protection. Uh, God said, don't eat from the other tree. We know the story. That tree uh, opens your eyes and allows you to have insight uh, into the hearts and minds of people in such a way that you not only are now in the image of God, but you begin to take on the, the place of God, and what happens is we became judgers and accusers, and we begin to profess judgment and accusation on one another, and you see that. We see that right away. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, they all blame God, the finger-pointing begins, and that's where it's gone ever since. The idea of servant leadership became, I'm better than you. And we see the effects of that very quickly. Chapter 3 of Genesis. We're not going to go through every chapter in the Bible. Don't worry. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. I want to just comment in that verse for a minute. It's incorrectly interpreted sometimes, uh, your desire being some sort of in a sexual nature. What he's talking about here is relationship. It's it's a relationship between a man and a woman you, that you want to be in connection and intimacy and in communion with one another, and the the fall broke that. There's now a brokenness in that, and competition has entered in. And there's strife that begins to affect those relationships, and really... That's, again, what we've seen played out in history between uh, the, the relationships between men and women, specifically between husbands and wives, historically, is a distortion of God's plan. There's this competitiveness and this strife that was never intended to be there. It wasn't, you know, marriage isn't supposed to be a power struggle. Um, that happens in relationships individually between two people, but it also happens in groups of people. As people began to gather... Uh, they began to again take control, jockey for position, try to take advantage of one another. Cities were formed; they needed order, and that's where governments come from, right? Um, if you're if you're just a, a lone shepherd out on a hill somewhere with your sheep, you don't need a whole lot of laws. There, there, there's not there's not a whole lot of structure necessary for you to take care of the sheep on the hill. Uh, but when other people come into the picture, obviously that changes. So Genesis. Chapter 4, What, what to me, th- this, Cain went out from the Lord's presence. He lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden, and Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. Cain kills his brother. God casts him out of Eden, and the first thing he does is build a city. So... Again, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer's book last week. We talked about the decline of Western civilization. Schaeffer kind of chronicles how civilization has deteriorated throughout history. But here's the reality. The reality is that civilization was in decline from the very beginning. The day that Cain built that city was already in decline. Cities before long became kingdoms. Kingdoms had kings. Kings recruited armies. The army's job was to protect the people insofar as those people would pledge allegiance to the king. You hail Caesar, I'll take care of you. You don't. That's another story. God speaks into this, and he calls his chosen people Israel out of that. He says, I want want to show you a different way to live. I want to take you to this place that I call the promised land, and there uh, it's going to be different. You won't have power over one another. There won't be those authority structures. You'll live in my presence and under my authority. And then your job, really, is to evangelize the world. Your job is to show others that, hey, you don't have to live this way. There's another way to live a different way. So Israel was a chosen priesthood with a job. That's, you know, we say here our little tagline is blessed to be a blessing. That's where it comes from. The whole idea is that we we recognize who we are in Christ, that, that that we really do have blessing that comes from him, and that we are also responsible to now share that blessing. We don't hoard it and pack it away. I, I, I struggle sometimes with this, this sort of isolationist view that some churches have, that, you know, it's us against the world, or it's us separate from the world. No, it's us in the world, and we're called to be representatives of Jesus in and among the people around us, and that's really... a a very different calling. God didn't want Israel to have a king. God wanted to be their king. Um, He wanted Israel to exhibit to others what it looked like to be a people who don't exercise power over one another, but who live in the presence of God. Um, God gave them uh, judges. Judges didn't have power over the people. They really were there as mediators to help resolve issues. Um, But they Israel wasn't content with that. It, 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 it didn't take very long for them to want more. And this is, in my estimation, one of the saddest verses in Scripture. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. And then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. God said, you're holy, you're set apart, you're distinct. They said, no, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. You can see the, uh, the heart of God break in that. When in conversation with Samuel, the Lord says, listen, all the people are saying to you, it's not you they've rejected. It's God speaking. They rejected me as their king. See, so, so the very process of putting trust in human kings involves not putting trust in God. It, it's misplacing the trust that's supposed to be in him in a person. And that really is how we got to where we are today. That's, that's the beginning of the end. Um, Wanna, how do you define irony? Our money says on it, "In God We Trust." Or, to, to my knowledge, I don't. I, I think every denomination of currency, coin and paper in the United States says, "In God We Trust" on it. Um, that's irony, because the question is, do we trust in God or do we trust in the money that that's printed on? Let, let me um, clarify a little bit. I want to talk about government. I'm not saying that <clears throat> all government is bad by any means. Um, it's not God's perfect plan, but it's God's plan for the world that we live in now. Some governments are better than others. In, in theory, at least, um, and, and largely in practice, ours is a good system. The government that we live under it was created to be just and fair and give people choice. And we saw that happen this week right? People exercise their choice in choosing a leader. And some people like that. I mean, some people like the outcome, some didn't, but that's reality is that we have a choice. It's different than the systems that much of the world lives under today. Uh, Vast portions of the world live under what, what are called dictatorships, where people don't have a choice. I want to give you an example uh, an illustration of that our country and our city in particular, has been under a lot of turmoil this year, and there have been a number of protests that took place, right? Anybody aware of that? So uh, people were protesting in Portland earlier this year. Uh, those protests at times um, became destructive and violent, property damage and or potential harm to people. And so the police were instructed to move in and to break up the protests, and they utilized tear gas largely to do that. That's not fun if you've ever been tear gas. i have never been tear gas, but I saw, you know, an interview and an image of a young man on TV that had been tear gas, and his face was all puffy and red, and he didn't look good. And I'm sure it was uh, horrible to be tear gassed. I've talked to you about one of my friends in Nicaragua. I spent almost the last 20 years, working with people in that nation, and uh, they live under a dictatorship. Uh, Daniel Ortega has assumed leadership there, he's rewritten the Constitution so that there is no term limit, he'll never be voted out, and then he made his wife vice president. People there also protested, and I want to say this, that the protests that took place in Nicaragua last year were by any measure peaceful protests, probably more peaceful than the protests that took place by and large here. What did the government do? They brought in uh, paramilitary snipers and put them on rooftops and began to shoot people. So over a period of about three weeks, over 300, almost 400 people were killed. So what do you think happened to the protests? Well, they stopped. We're not gonna protest if we're gonna get shot. So you can see, my whole point is, before I go on, by the way, time out. Hey, would you do me a favor this week and pray for Nicaragua? I don't know if you saw news. It was was a footnote in the news this week with the election and everything, but a hurricane hit the east coast of Central America. I have friends in Honduras, Guatemala, and Nicaragua all were hit by Hurricane Ada, I believe. Um, It made landfall in Nicaragua in the northeast corner of the country, which is, there's a little, it was mentioned on the news. I'd never heard Puerto Cabezas on the news before, but I've been to Puerto Cabezas. And, Nicaragua, I've told you before, is the second poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. The western part of the country is by far better off. The eastern half of the country is much, much poorer than the west. Porto Cabezas is, realistically speaking, n- n- no exaggeration, the poorest of the poor. It's like going back in time 100 years when you're there. Under normal circumstances, infrastructure in that city is lacking, and they were hit by a hurricane this week, and it's 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 a mess. So, if you would keep them in, in your prayers, I would be appreciative for that. Um, my point simply was this: that while no governments are really uh, perfect, and/or the plan that God has, some are better than others, and the one that we live in is, by comparison, fairly good. Um, But that said, the existence of governments in and of themselves is a sign that people didn't trust God. That's how we got them. It's outside of God's ideal, because in God's ideal, we're all created in the image of God equally. So so any, any inequality distorts the image of God. And as we said last week, while the hope of the world is in the election, the hope of the world is in the government, the hope of the world is in legislation and passing certain laws or not passing or repealing certain laws. Uh, Our hope isn't in that. Our hope isn't in that system. Our hope is in Jesus. As ambassadors of Christ, we represent something very different. Um, All power structures ultimately are based on, built on mistrust of God. And and they, they ultimately are controlled, again, even the best ones, are controlled by the principalities and powers that are at work. Um, It's not just me saying that, by the way. Luke chapter 4, temptation of Jesus, the devil led him, Jesus, up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Two things about that passage. First of all, we know that Jesus resisted that temptation. He didn't fall into the trap. But he also did not disagree with the enemy. Satan really is in control of the world. Jesus understood that Satan is, in fact, in control of the kingdoms of the world. So the enemy is in a very real sense, kind of like Leo. I'm the king of the world. Um, Jesus says, don't do that. Um, Don't fall into that trap. Don't rule by exercising authority over. What I do is I I exercise authority by serving and coming under, by sacrificing. my, My authority is illustrated to you by my willingness to sacrifice myself, lay down my life on behalf of others. So here's your take-home for today. Don't be like Leo. I like Leo. He's a good guy. Um, it was interesting to, you know, listening, just the whole thing is, is weird. Uh, but the, the sort of scuttle early on in the last couple weeks about Interfere, Russian interference. The Russians are going to get in, you know, or the Chinese are going to get in and interfere with the election. You know, it's like I'm all, you guys missed the point. You know, Satan hacked the system a long time ago. He's in. He, he, he's in. He's a mole. He's a troll, and he's something else that rhymes with that. Um, but as ambassadors, somebody just got it. Um, <laughs> as ambassadors, we understand that, you know the very best system is has been infiltrated there's pollution in the system um the, the enemy is at work there's no there's no question about that he's creating hostility he's sowing division he's pushing to marginalize people uh to to devalue people to oppress people to dehumanize people to do anything he can to create inequality uh to deny that people are all created in the image of God. Three times Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world, John 12, John 14, John 16. The, the, the word prince there, interesting, the uh, Greek word is archon, uh, and it really is, it's, it's a regional ruler. It's a person that has authority over a specific geographic area. So this is not uh, theological necessarily. This is sort of how I kind of picture that, it's like a mafioso or like a mob boss, you know? Like, you know, make him an offer he cannot refuse. Or really more like, say hello to my little friend. That's, that's how Satan works. Just like that. Uh, it's non discriminant He doesn't care who he shoots. I never saw that movie. I just saw the clip. Paul, Paul says... In Ephesians, Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In Corinthians, he says he's the god of this age. John lays all the cards on the table and says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So that's where we are, kids. (laughs) What's the good news? I just think we need context. I think we need context to understand, uh, you know, again, I told you before, John used to say the devil never takes a day off, but... With that in mind, we shouldn't take a day off either. We should be mindful of every opportunity we have every day, no matter where you are, who you interact with, what you do. Is this an opportunity for me to extend the kingdom of God to this person in this setting at this time? Uh, just be, the, the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world are both simultaneously at work all the time, and we can't let our guard down. We can't afford to say, uh, in light of all this, oh, you know what, I, I just don't have time today. So here's the good news. This is the end of the book. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. He will reign forever and ever. Two things. One is all those diverse kingdoms have been brought together under the power and authority of Jesus, and he will reign forever and ever. Uh, A united people under him... uh, and the divisions are all crushed. The divisions are broken. Jesus brings a new kingdom that draws unity and brings people together. It's an alternate reality. Very much like God intended originally in the Garden of Eden, only it's even better than that. New heaven a new earth, new creation. It's like 2.0. It's going to be even better than what God planned originally. The kingdom of God, my point is, is subversive to all the power structures of the world. And it's exemplified in the self-sacrificial love of Jesus, laying down his life and coming to serve. We understand, so... A little graphic by Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. All those names that the gospel writers use of Jesus, Lord of all, King of kings, Bearer of good news, King of glory, Savior, those were originally, those didn't originate with the gospel. They were originally names given to Caesar. There were names called of Caesar. So what the gospel writers were saying in effect is this. No, you don't get it. It's not about Caesar. Caesar isn't all that in the bag of chips. Jesus is. Jesus is the one who is those things. It's not Caesar. It was, understand, it's very subversive. The gospel is subversive. It, cut, it undermines everything that the world lays forth as the way it's, quote, supposed to be. That's how it's done. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our job. That's our job we represent him and our call is to be different than those around us to, to stand up for what's right, uh, to, to champion, uh, the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, um, to, 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 to really defend anyone who's been marginalized in any capacity, um, to reflect the heart of Jesus to our community. Uh, I want to just, I'll close with this and we'll, we'll pray, but, um, it's, it's been an interesting week by any measure. Uh, it's very tumultuous. It's still tumultuous. Uh, the country is not yet undivided. And I want to say that church is not undivided in so much as people are have different opinions on this, so does the church. I got a post from a friend of mine this morning that is declaring that Um, all news media is wrong and that they don't get to call who's the president. And um, my thought was I don't think they determined who's the president. I think they just reported it. But um, my point is simply that and, and and I don't care what your position is or where you're at, but that we're still divided. And and I believe that it's it's upon us to, to breach that gap and to extend grace and kindness and love um, to people around us and to take every opportunity we have to do that, whatever that might look like. I think if you just pray uh, at your place of work, where you live, your neighborhood, God, God will, will give you opportunities and show you ways in which you can extend the, his kingdom to people around you. So let's... Let's pray and we'll close. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org slash give.